Aloha. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Life and Times with JB. I'm JB Hasso, and today we'll be exploring a little bit of how my family roots were planted in California and share some funny stories from my childhood with my mom, Stella Gonzalez. She is calling in from Wilmington, California. So let's get this started, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Mom. Hi, Miho. Well, thank you for joining me on my first podcast. Uh, I couldn't think of anyone else uh, to begin this new adventure with. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. That's good. That's good to hear. So I thought I would start by giving a little background about me uh, to sort of give a baseline for the listeners. So I was born and raised in Long Beach, California during the 1980s and 90s uh, as a second-generation Mexican-American. I had an adventurous and very exciting childhood from attending countless sporting events, uh, playing baseball, earning Eagle Scout, being a community activist, uh, traveling to Japan as an exchange student, and uh, race directing at the time Long Beach's largest running event, the Bixby Knowles 5K 10K run. Uh, since then, I've spent the last 22 years in the United States Army, currently stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I'll be uh, finally hanging up the uniform, body armor, and helmet uh, for the final time and retiring next summer. So I was extremely lucky to have two amazing parents that developed me to who I am today. Uh, and that is why my first guest on my podcast uh, is my mom, uh, Stella Gonzalez. So uh, how are uh, things going back in uh, Southern California right now? Um, I know, you know, obviously we're going over eight months of COVID. So how do you think things are going back back home? Well, it's doing much better now than it was before because everybody was afraid and everybody was staying home and everything was closed. It's much better now. and But it's still, um, people are still afraid of, you know, talking to other people, getting close to them. Yeah, so everybody's still wearing masks. Yeah, and it, it's, the, it's the requirement. We have to wear masks when we go anywhere, uh, any stores, anywhere. You have to wear masks or else you cannot enter a building or anywhere. So I hope things continue to get better uh, there in California. California is a very resilient state, uh, especially with overcoming like the numerous natural disasters, you know, earthquakes, mudslides, wildfires, you know, everything that's been going on. Something unique about Long Beach and in Wilmington is that it's home to the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles. Um, and these are these ports, these twin ports, basically Long Beach and Los Angeles, uh, are the second busiest container ports in the United States and uh, is the gateway for the U.S. and Asian trade. This leads me to my grandfather, uh, Candelario Gonzalez. Um, so he was a migrant from Mexico. So I would just uh, really wanted to see if you could tell us a little bit about his uh, migration to the United States. Well, he, in his early childhood in Mexico, his father passed away when he was three years old. It was just him and my grandmother at the time. And then my, my aunt was born. And then uh, they struggled. They were very poor. They, you know, they had a hard life. And then my father would go and sell things at, at the age of seven. He would go sell um, anything, fruit, peanuts. Because he would ask his mom to cook, uh, they would buy raw raw peanuts, and his mom would cook them for him, and he would go sell them in the street. And then he saw this gentleman selling cigarettes individually, and so he saved his money so he could sell it. And so that's what he did. And uh, so, and then he went into making bread, and then from there, I think he worked like that for a long time, and then. Uh, at the age, I think, was 12 or 13 years old, his uncle brought him 
from over here to the United States for them to have a better life. And because my father said he used to sleep on the floor and they, you know, on the dirt. And he goes, he didn't have shoes. You know, they were a very poor family. The rest of his other family, they lived here in the United States. So they went over there to bring them so they could have a better life. And so it was my grandmother, my father, and my two aunts that they came over about 1920. And they came over across El Paso. From there, they uh, went to San Pedro, and that's where they lived. My dad, uh, he said he was 14 years old, but he says that when he came here, since he was that age, the school system wanted him to go to school. And so he said he went to school for six months. And he goes, all he learned was his nose, how to say nose, eyes, and mouth, he said, you know, things like that. And then in between that, he would go sell fruit, in Paramount or Compton, and then his uncle passed away. He had an accident at work, and he was at the shipyard. So my father at that time, so he says, well, he was the one that was supporting the family here. So he went, said he had no choice, but he went to work. And so he uh, lied about his age, and he went to work at the shipyard. And how old was he at this time when he lied 15, about his age? I think 15. Oh, 15. 15. Oh. 15 or 16 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he, you know, they, because you had to be 18. And so he, that's where he went. I think it was not, the, yeah, the, he did the, the shipyard, but it was lumber. Oh, wow. Yeah, the lumber yards. Yeah, that's what I was uh, remembering. Lumber, yeah, because he has a picture there at Diaz where he worked. My mom's talking about Thea, so Thea would be my aunt, so my mom's sister. Um, so inside their house, the last house that my grandfather lived at, uh, he had a picture of them all in the, the lumber yard down the uh, port of Los Angeles on the docks and the shipyards. So in there, there's a, a photo, and um, I remember one day when we went over there, uh, he was he told me to take a marker and find him. And so I'm looking through this picture of, I don't know, 100, 200 people, maybe more than that. So I had to go through there and find this, find him in this black and white photo. And uh, I found him and then he came up and stared at it. He's like, oh yeah, that's me. Circle it. And I, was, <laughs> I think it was like a permanent marker or something. And I was like, circle it? He's like, circle it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I remember every time after that, I'd come by and that would always be you know, circled. So you talked uh, about um, grandpa, like at that point, you know, moving over from Mexico, going into El Paso um, and then making their way over to Southern California to San Pedro. Uh, so for those that are not aware of where San Pedro is at. So, um, so if you're, it's, it's basically uh, just North of Long Beach, California. Uh, so it is in Los Angeles County area. It's near the port, the port of Los Angeles. But anyway, so Grandpa uh, began working at, on the docks around 15 years old. So he lied about his age, uh, got into the docks, started working. So that began his business ties, I would say, along the 25 miles of land that uh, encompasses the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles. Um, and I sort of felt that uh, that's how he learned how to become a very prosperous businessman. He supported his family so basically his two sisters and his mom as a 15 year old as the man of the household so he quit school he was learning how to speak english english uh, english right so he was learning how to speak english and all he learned was 
nose and ear and parts of your body, I guess. Yes, that's what you tell me. Because yeah. he, he wasn't there no more than six months. No more than what? His, no more than six months. After, once he quit school, started working on the docks in the lumber yard. How did he, how did that success or allow him to be successful in life, becoming an entrepreneur, you know, early on in life? Always like business, always like to improve himself. He always had the life that he wanted to better himself. And he was young, like he sold peanuts and cigarettes and fruit. So that's what he wanted to do. That was more exciting for him. And so that's what he did. And then when he worked at uh, the lumber yard, then later on, he longshoreman, he did that for a while. And then he went back to um, the lumber yard. And then he, my dad saved his money. He was very, um, he always believed in saving. And so when he saved some money, he bought, he bought property or he went into a business. He um, went into a restaurant and, uh, in San Pedro, and then he went, and, and that's when I think he got married, and then they opened up another little, like a mom and pop stores, and they did that for a while too. I think he opened up two of them. He did that for a while, and so he always saved his money to buy property, and he always wanted to open up a, a bigger restaurant. And he did. To talk about longshoremen, many people probably don't know that outside of uh, the California or, you know, marina type areas uh, throughout the country. So longshoremen is uh, basically an individual, a worker that works on the docks. So there are a tremendous amount of longshoremen in the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Uh, So unloading the ships uh, or loading the ships for uh, specifically in, in Long Beach and L.A., they're to do the Asian and uh, U.S. trade. All the ships that are coming in, all those containers, uh, all the people unloading that, they're all longshoremen. So he started the business, uh, businesses in San Pedro, opened up the restaurant um, with aspirations to grow into a larger restaurant. How did that turn out, yeah, um, moving into a larger restaurant? That's fine, because he worked at, at his brother's restaurants for a while. Many years, he always worked. And then he went and opened up his own restaurant in Wilmington. That was in 1954 that he opened the restaurant, Gonzalez Restaurant. It was successful. My father used to have the Mexican movie stars would come in, uh, sign autographs and all that stuff. And I was about six, seven years old. I didn't know who they were because I was young, so it was exciting. And then uh, they closed the restaurant in 1991. My father was 80 years old when he quit working there at the restaurant. And then my sister and my mother took over the business. Grandpa was very active in the community, uh, not just as an entrepreneur, but he found a calling and, and, and became a Mason as he became a U.S. Uh, citizen. My father became a U.S. citizen in uh, 1936 or 38. He became an American citizen. He was mainly doing working to improve himself. When we opened up the restaurant, he became involved with the Alks Club, the Lions Club, you know, the, the area, and then the Rotary Club. He belonged to all those. And then his Masons. He was a Masons with the Mexican Masons. And then he joined the one in Wilmington. He was a master of that lodge. And when he turned 100, they wanted him to be master again. And my dad said, no, he, he was too old to, to do the work. They wanted him so bad to do it because he knew the work. 
talked about grandpa they wanted him to be a master at 100 years old people on here are probably like 100 years old so how old did uh grandpa survive he lived he was 108 years old when he passed away yeah so 108 yes. still going strong probably until the last couple of years of his life uh, he started slowing down the year that he passed away um he was tired he said to me that he was tired and for my sister and i to let him go from there he just got weaker but before that he was his mind was still sharp, eating good, and so he died seven months after that. Interesting to be able to talk to Grandpa and everything that he experienced through life, things in life that he experienced from the Great Depression to you know Pearl Harbor being bombed and, and World War II to the Korean War to Vietnam War um, to JFK getting shot. You know, so seeing all this and having somebody at first hand to that witnessed it and was there uh, to see it happen uh, in his lifetime was very, uh, you know, phenomenal to hear those stories. Grandpa talked about being a self-made man, being self-educated, and he and he believed in that. What would you say or what would he say to kids that are going through school? What would his advice be for them? My dad always says that you need to improve yourself and read my dad learned how to read English and Spanish. He taught himself. And he said when he got into a situation that he didn't know, he would ask a friend. And the friends will help him explain it or show him how to do it. So that's what he always says. And to save money. I know he says that you need to read a lot. And my dad had a lot of books. He knew in Mexico all the presidents. He could tell you what year they became they became in office and when they left. And in the United States, he knew all the presidents to when when did they served office and when they left. He knew all the capitals of the states, and so he could tell you all that. In Mexico, the same thing. He knew all that. He learned that by reading books. You don't know something read the books anybody that met grandpa knows like he would always quiz you and not necessarily oh what's the capital of north carolina he would really question you and and try to challenge you to learn more so if he asked you what the capital of north carolina was and you said charlotte oh no 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 that's not charlotte it's raleigh go back and study more so i remember being as a kid like always being somewhat intimidated to go there because i always felt like i had the wrong answer he remembered so, yeah. He remembered that the next time you went to visit him or you went to see him, he would ask you, he would ask you the same question, see if you learn anything. Because I know, I know yep. he did that with my grandkids. He would tell them a question and he goes, I want the answer when you come back and see me. And so the kids didn't yeah. want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He ended up getting married the first time. Yes. He had kids. Yeah, he had five kids um, from his first wife, and one passed away. And then he married my mother, and she had three kids. And um, yeah. she passed away before my father passed away. So let's get a little bit into grandma. Okay. Well, my mother was born in Arizona, Blackstaff. Her parents, they were on their way to go to Mexico, and they stopped in Arizona to have the baby. And then from after she had the baby, they went to Mexico. They went to Irapuato. That's where she lived until she was, I think, 18. And her uncle lived in Wilmington. 
they sent for her to come over here so she could help her family because her her mother died when my mother was 13 years old. So my mother is the she was the oldest child and there were four more siblings she had. And so my mother would take care of them. So at 18, the uncle came and got her. This way she could help my grandfather help them support them. That's where she met my father because my mother's uncle knew my father. And since my father was over 20 years older than my mother, I don't think he approved of my father meeting, going out with my mother, then finally marrying her. So they just went off and got married. And uh, so after they got married, and that's where my mother went to work at the Cinco, my father's uh, brother's restaurant, because that's where my dad was working. And plus the the shipyard, he was he did both jobs. He did he worked two jobs. That's how they met. My father, when he got divorced, he got custody of his children, and so he had four children. And then my mother was their stepmother, and my mother was only 18 years old when she became a stepmother to a a child that was five years younger than her. So Uncle Charlie was five years younger than Grandma? I think so. Now Grandma had four kids, stepchildren that she was uh, responsible for, and the mother for basically with Grandpa as Grandpa continued to work and, and run a business. As grandma was raising uh, children from grandpa's previous marriage, it was now time to have children of their own. Okay, my sister Eva is the oldest, and she and I are 10 months apart. And then my brother Hiram, he he was four years younger than I was. We uh, all lived in Wilmington. So how was it being raised in a family that owned many businesses in the Wilmington area and then were very well known in the community? Everybody knew us. I didn't know the people. You know, they knew us. And anything we did wrong, anything, they would call my father up and say, your daughter did this, so your daughter did that. So, we, you know, we had to be very careful what we did because they, everybody, because Wilmington's a small town. It's not a large town. And so everybody knew who we were. I always thought we were an average family because we always had babysitters when we were young. My parents always worked. My mother and father were asleep in the morning and we went off to school. We came home. My mother was getting ready to go to work and my father too. And then we had a babysitter. And so that's how we were raised. So I didn't know anything different. Having all these business, what he was doing, I didn't notice it, put it this way. I didn't. I didn't feel no different from my neighbors across the streets or anything. We lived a normal life. Now, looking back at it, do you wish that anything would have been different in your childhood? Yes. I wish they were, my parents would be more at home. Like you had you had your mother and father at home. At the evening, when he came home from work, I didn't work, so I was always there. I wish I had that. Uh, I could have joined the Girl Scouts or played volleyball or did something, and then my parents would come and see me. And so that's why your dad and I did, because we missed that in our lives. So we wanted yeah. that for you and for Artie. I had a good childhood. My parents provided for us very well. And then yeah. my dad says when he came from Mexico, he didn't have nothing. He didn't have no shoes. He says that he came to the United States to better himself. And when he got married and had children, he wanted to buy a house for each of his children. And he did that. He lived his American dream. He provided for his family. And he's helped a lot of people. 
was a good man, very good man. He he helped people get their uh, immigrated from Mexico to over here, gave them jobs until no longer he could do that. They told him he could not immigrate any more people. Looking back, uh, what is your favorite childhood memory? My favorite childhood memory? Yes. Christmas. And not just not one Christmas. I think every Christmas, it was always nice. We were around family. My mother and my father were there. Christmas, Christmas time was my favorite time when I was growing up. Let's uh, now go into talking about uh, your siblings, uh, your brother Hiram and your sister Eva. He was a good person, helpful. He was good to me. So, you know, I mean, he was good to a lot of people. But he passed away almost three years ago. This January will be three years. And uh, I still miss him a lot. And he was a jokester. He always liked to joke. He did that to everybody. The Ohio would scare me as well growing up. So I was always scared of him as well. You know, he took a lot from grandpa, I would say, uh, especially being a businessman himself. He ran one of the family businesses or a couple of the family businesses for a while, as well as being a longshoreman. So working on the docks and being very successful on the docks as well. But I, I do remember, like, uh, I think the last time I saw him before when I went back to California, uh, when I was uh, back there for a week or so, like, finally got to meet his dog. That was absolutely massive. This, this dog was huge. Too. Um, probably. Yes. Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> Yeah, the thing is massive. <laughs> I don't know if it were to stand up and he stretched his legs out and made him stand up straight. He would probably, I don't know, he would probably be at least six five, six seven. Um, that huge. was a small so, one. He had a bigger yeah. one. That one it was the third <laughs> one he's had. And the first one he had was much taller. Well, he loved those dogs. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of memories I have with Theo Harm as well. You know, it is sad that he's not with us anymore, but our thoughts and memories are still with him. And the things that we were able to do with him are still there. I miss him. Yeah, I miss him so much. So now let's uh, talk about your sister, Eva. You know, she's always worked at restaurant. You know, she's she's always been the happiest person and she wasn't she's not shy she would speak her mind and that's what i admire her she speaks her mind and you know very friendly very friendly and her dimples when she smiled her little dimples she was she's very friendly and compared to me i was always shy and quiet never spoke and um, people would say smile and I just look at them, I go, and I smile. They say, no. When they were at the restaurant, when I was working there at the register and uh, customers would come up and she would, they would tell me, they would tell me that I had to smile or they won't pay me. And I go, you know, that's when I said, do I not smile? And she goes, no. And he goes, you don't smile at all. And so, you know, that's what I admire about my sister. She's more friendly, more outgoing than I am. And she's always been there for me. You know, I mean, that's if something happens to me, she's there. I need her. She's there. And she helps all the family that way. She has a good heart. And she took care of my mom and my dad very well when they were sick or something. I admire her for that. Yeah, definitely. And she uh, became successful, too, in entrepreneurship. 
uh, obviously running uh, some of the family businesses as well yes. and the restaurant and then uh, owning and, and running some residential property within the city as well. Uh, and on top of that, also being a longshoreman, you know, working on the dock. And then my mom went into talking about her age. So this is the results from that. Oh, yeah. Oh. You're telling the world her age. Sorry. You <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then they, they, so. they, they figured that out. They're going to figure how old I am, too. Huh? <laughs> Ooh, they cut that out. Yep. So. <laughs> All righty. While we recover from laughing, I thought I would take the time to talk about November being Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. In 2006, my childhood friend and Long Beach Poly High School cross-country teammate Tyler Nason was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when he was 25 years old, passing away five years later. For over a decade, I have been volunteering and advocating to continue Tyler's fight against pancreatic cancer. In 2020, pancreatic cancer will affect an estimated 57,600 Americans, 71% of whom will die within one year of their diagnosis and 90% of whom will die within five years of diagnosis. Pancreatic cancer has surpassed breast cancer to become the third leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States, and it is soon projected to become the second leading cause. It is the only major cancer with the lowest five-year relative survival rate at just 10%. We need your help to shine a spotlight on this disease and finally make progress in developing treatments and early detection tools. By wearing purple in observance of World Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Day on Thursday, November 19th, you can help us raise awareness in your community. Take pictures and post them on your social media outlets with hashtag PancanForPurpose. For more information about pancreatic cancer, or if you have been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, reach out to the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network at pancan.org. Let's get back to the action. As we come back now, like I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you met Dad and uh, how that all started. Oh, I met your dad at a hamburger stand, and you know he asked me my name, and I said Stella, and, and uh, he liked a girl named Stella that at that time, and so we just sat and we talked, and then I met him again at a wedding reception in L.A. We started talking. And he asked for my phone number, and from that's how we started dating. So back then, no obviously, there was no cell phones. But was there any time, like, like grandma or grandpa would say anything when he would call? Or well, at that time, effect? my mother and father were still working. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> the, you know, we had the restaurant, you know what I mean? So um, now they didn't say nothing. They just, you know, I found him very handsome because he had a beard. That's what attracted me to him. He had a full beard, really nice. But at the dance... And I think he said, hi, Stella. I turned around and looked at him. I didn't know who he was because it didn't look like, I don't know who this guy is. Then he told me that he, where he met me. And I said, oh, you're the one with the beard? <laughs> I didn't recognize him. Um, how old were you guys around that time? 19, because we got married when we were oh, 20. Wow. So how did he start bringing you around uh, his family and how did you start bringing him around your family? I don't remember, but I know he would, I would go with him to his, he took me so I could meet his grandmother and his sisters and he had a motorcycle. We went on a motorcycle one time and, and then the grandmother invited us to you know, have dinner there. So, 
So they wanted to know who was he spending all his time with. <laughs> you know, my family was working at the restaurant, so they didn't see him much uh, until we got serious. And then he asked to marry him. And then he went and asked my mother and my father permission to marry me. And uh, that's where he started going around, more, more or less with the family. Uh, the reason why he met his grandmother and not his parents, because his parents passed away when when he was young, when he was uh, an early teen. Yeah, I think he was so. 13 years old, I think, too, when his mother died. She died of brain cancer. And then his father died when he was in high school. So why did you guys get married so fast? Because uh, he was going to go to Germany. And so we wanted to get married before he left so I could go over there. We got married in three weeks. So after dad finished uh, basic training uh, up at Fort Ord, which was in uh, basically central uh, California, um, which is now closed, he received orders to go to Germany. You guys got married. Uh, so that gave you guys the opportunity to travel out to Germany together. And how was that? It was a good experience. No, it was experience because I knew just getting married and just on our own. The people didn't speak English and, you know, I mean, it was, it was different. We lived right in the middle of the town, you know what I mean? So it was nice. And that was a point where something I've experienced in the military is the camaraderie and the friendship and the family-like environment. Uh, especially for you guys, you guys moved to Germany, a different country altogether. Uh, all your family was back here in the States. So at that point, you guys started to meet some friends that, how did that go, like being separated from your family and, and depending that's, on you friends? Know, that's what probably would have made it better because uh, there was quite a few American, you know, soldiers living off post in the town. And so we would go visit. And then uh, like on Friday nights, we would play piquino. Uh, it's like bingo. We did that. And so we would go one house one week the following we would go to somebody else's house and we we would do that and then we would just go have dinner sometimes with one of the others we kept ourselves busy and so i enjoyed that you know i mean i really did so my father's friends who they met while mm -hmm. they were stationed in germany came back to the states got married and then with that relationship because at that point when dad when you guys moved back to the united states dad had gotten out of active duty army and, and switched to become a reservist Throughout those years, though, you guys had maintained friendships with two different families and two different couples that made the initial uh, friendship in Germany and coming back to, back to California. Pretty pretty crazy to think about it, though. That after all these years, like you're still friends, uh, you know, the wives, you know, so with Terry and, and Gloria. So um, you know, that's that's an impact that you probably would have never that's met true. them if it wasn't for the army. But when you guys got back to the states, uh, coming back to Southern California, you had thought about starting a family. I came back pregnant from Germany. She was born here in California. And when we came back from Germany, we lived in Wilmington. We lived here until Artie was three years old and we moved to Long Beach and bought the house. So what was some of those like favorite memories or times that you had uh, oh, with Artie? You know, really when she was two years old, I don't know how she escaped from me, you know what I mean? And we lived in the apartment, and uh, I was looking for her, and I couldn't find her. Looked all over around the house, the backyard, everything. Then I called my cousin, and I go, I can't find Artie. And we call other people, we can't find Artie. And 
we all were looking, we almost called the police. And then somebody, one of the guys that were looking for her, saw her cross the street of Wilmington Boulevard. And she crossed that street and she was in front of a bar looking in. Two years old. <laughs> At two years old? And we were all scared. <laughs> and and, and I, I mentioned that to Artie. And she goes, that's what you remember? I go, yep, I was scared. What do you mean? You know, you know, and right there at the bar, the hairy, that guy, I don't know which, it was a man who was bringing her back. But I knew he, who he was, but I don't remember who he was. And uh, he was holding her hand, walking back to the apartment. And I couldn't get over it. I think somebody called the police. And uh, and I go, no, we, there she is. And I told them she they were they found her across the street. She goes, "How did she cross the street?" I go, "I don't know how, but that's where they found her." And that's where we're fussing. <laughs> how did she cross yeah. a four lane street? And so it's a busy street. That's what I remember her mostly. So already went on to um, be active in sports. You know, played softball with Bobby Sox, and um, went on to play high school high school softball. Like, what were the things that you were involved with, with her, you know, being so involved with sports? Well, I mean, the Bobby uh, being a student athlete. We were, Gloria and I, we were, uh, I was like a chaperone. She was a team mom, things like that. We did that when they were playing softball. And then in high school, we just participated, taking them practice and, and then fundraising. The fundraising is that your dad, when he worked at Dodger Stadium, they had promotional days. And your dad knew the lady that does the promotional. And he asked her if, you know, Artie's uh, softball team could participate. She got us in. And so we used to take the team and then give out promotional things, the giveaways. And then uh, the girls would work that day. And then so we did that. And I forgot how much they would pay for each student that went there. You know, we did that to help them make some money for the team. Yeah, so I already went to a, a Catholic private all-girls high school, yes. uh, St. Joseph High School in Lakewood, California. During that time that she was there as well, she uh, played softball with uh, Olympian Lisa Fernandez. Lisa went on to play at UCLA and then uh, became a Olympian, and, and now she's the head coach at UCLA uh, for the softball team, so... You know, it's pretty cool for Artie to, you know, look back at that and, and see those oh, memories yes. of playing with an Olympian. After you had Artie, I came along, <laughs> but I didn't come along right away. It took nine years to come along. So what was what was the gap in? Uh, why did you wait so why long? Why did I wait so long? That's how it happened. I was old already and I wasn't planning to have any more kids. And I said, we're not going to have no more kids. And then I ended up finding out I was pregnant with you. You were a surprise. You weighed 10 pounds and one yes, ounce. At that point. Yes, you were. <laughs> yeah, 10 pounds. Big baby. <laughs> Artie yes. was nine years old by this point, by the time I was raised, or by the time I was born. So what was different in raising me than, like, as a baby, basically? Or what did you do differently this time around? Or what did you learn from Artie to do different with me? Uh, well, it's... You were different because you were bigger, way bigger than she was. You were always hungry. 
always crying. And the doctor yeah. said, do not feed him more than four ounces. You wanted more than four ounces. You were crying because, okay, then tell me, give him water. And because, uh, no, he's going to be big. And so I said, okay. And so you were crying, crying, crying. And then I said, this is not solving it. And then they told me to put cereal in it. And then I go, oh, okay, it calmed you down a little bit. And then I finally, oh, no, I end up just giving you more milk and to keep you quiet because you were always crying because you were always hungry. And so that's what I learned more yeah. that I should, you know, you know, feed you more, and, you know, instead of crying all the time. I guess some. What were some of the challenges? What were some of my difficulties as I learned how to walk? Well, and you were bow-legged. And walking. One thing, I would tell the doctor, <laughs> "Look at his legs, he's bow-legged." And the doctor says, "Well, the doctor, I will never forget this." The doctor would tell me, "You will walk that way too if you were in the diaper." And I go, okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> and your Uncle Frankie, uh, he noticed you. And he was t- he told your father and I, why don't you cor- have his legs corrected? I go, well, I did tell his, you know, his doctor. And uh, he goes, no, I have a doctor for you. And so he uh, made an appointment for us. And uh, we went, and then the doctor uh, checked you out. I think he took an x-rays. He says that you had one leg shorter than the other. He put a bar. You had to put a bar at night with the shoes on the bar. And so you would have to put your feet in that at night. And uh, you cried for a couple of times, you know, a couple of days, because at nighttime you had to put that bar on you. And uh, But it strained out your legs more or less. So I didn't realize... Yes. Uh... So Uncle yes. Frank, so to be my great Uncle Frank, my dad's Uncle Frank, uh, Frank Ortega uh, was a, a pianist back in the day. He was a composer. Uh, he composed the music yes. uh, to uh, 77 Sunset Strip, worked uh, alongside. Rosemary, um, I think it was Rosemary um, um, Yeah, Rosemary Clooney. Yeah, uh, yeah he worked alongside uh, K-Star and produced uh, several album, albums uh, with his group. But yeah, I didn't realize uh, Uncle Frank was yes. uh, the one that really got that. Yeah, rolling. probably. Um, otherwise, I probably would be bow-legged today. Yeah, so yeah, he's the <laughs> one that made the appointment, and he didn't like the way your legs look. So, what would you say was your favorite times or memories during my childhood? I really, I, I enjoy you playing your your softball. Then your Boy Scouts. We were always busy with you know that. And then you got into cross country and then you're writing the newspaper for the neighborhood. Then you got me driving you all over, taking you here and taking you there. So, and then you got involved with the politics. You kept me busy. That's right. I didn't get my license until I was 18. (laughs) You got your license (laughs) because you wanted us to rent you a limousine to go to prom. And we said, no, I told you that we'll, we'll take you. And that's why you got your license and you drove yourself to the prom. I think some memories that I have of like my childhood with you, like obviously uh, growing up as my dad was a reservist, uh, army reservist, he would do his two weeks of annual training uh, every summer at different bases and different uh, uh, in in different states Uh, early on. um, So my dad would travel and then uh, you and I, we would go meet him for about a week or so basically almost every summer go somewhere and meet him, meet up with him. 
So I think the first time I ever flew on a plane was with you when we you know, flew to Washington State to Fort Lewis at the at the time. It was called Fort Lewis. Now it's called Joint Base Lewis McCord. Did the flight up there? I remember you got nervous. I was nervous, and like it was my first flight. And another time we took the train up there so we went from la's uh, union station on amtrak and, and made the, the trip up to tacoma washington you know we did one to fort dix new jersey and that one was a long cross-country train ride because i think at that point you were over flying so we did that trip over to fort dix new jersey did that on amtrak i remember that so you and i we had a little cabin a little room to ourselves that took us five or six days somewhere around there seven days to get there but i remember we made it up to chicago from la to chicago on the western western trains and then once we made it to chicago we got an east coast train uh so still amtrak but along that journey i remember because we had a bathroom in our in our little cabin but when you would (laughs) flush the toilet you would see the train tracks so everybody, when they would flush the toilet back in the day, I I doubt it's like that anymore. But you flush the toilet back in the day, and yeah. Like, and then you're leaving like your mark say, all across the, the America. Stopped, no one could use the restroom. <laughs> yeah, and only when the the train was moving, right. you could use the restroom. And they they announced it over the speakers that we're stopping, and yeah. you cannot use the facilities. Pretty interesting. I, I doubt Amtrak does that anymore these days, but I don't know. I haven't been on the Amtrak that long in a while. So 